0: Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Thank you. Thank you for that welcome. Have your seat. Praise God. Great to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, the book of Galatians, we're in the series on Galatians, we're it Thank you, Pastor Josh, for the opportunity to preach today. I was uh, listening. I listened in sermons all the time from other preachers all around the world, and I, was, I couldn't help but write this one down, this particular illustration. is about a Sunday school. And uh, grade five kids uh, were assembling one morning and uh, came into class, and the teachers... Uh, uh subject for that morning was just the gospel. She uh, began to teach and uh, she presented a really passionate message just about the simplicity of the gospel and uh, salvation through Jesus, through uh, faith in his name and, and the grace of God. And so at the conclusion of the lesson, she's going to do a bit of a quiz. So she says, she so asked the class, if I sell everything I have and give it to the church, will that get me into heaven? In unison, the children replied, "'Okay,' then the teacher said, "'If I clean my house every day, "'mow the lawn, plant some flowers, "'and feed other people in my neighbourhood, "'would that get me into heaven?' The children again resounding. They said, "'No,' altogether. "'All right, what if I am kind to animals, "'polite to my friends, love my family, "'and go to church regularly?' Would that get me into heaven? All the kids warming to the task now all shouted out with one voice, No! The teacher, to make her point, she said, Okay then, tell me, how do I get into heaven? There was silence in the class for a second. One little boy sitting up the back of the class who was new to church, he sings out, You have to be dead! (laughs) (laughs) been obsessed for thousands of years with this whole idea of how you get to heaven. heaven. How can I make sure I'm going to get to heaven? What do I have to do to get to heaven? David Jeremiah, he uh, is a preacher in the US, got a large church. Many, many years ago, he was in a, in a small church in Illinois, and he said uh, that he held an evangelical meeting. People in the local community and all the members of the church were encouraged to attend as well. One of the ladies who was going to attend was only she'd only been a new convert, a new uh, new believer for only a short period of time, probably a few months, and she'd started a discipleship class. And uh, she dis- she was all excited, so she ex- uh, 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 went along to the event as well. The next day, the senior pastor David Jeremiah got a phone call in this an appointment with him. She walked into his office, grabbed her Bible and just threw it down on the desk and came out with this exclamation, I can't do it. I'll never be able to do it. Pastor looked at her a bit bewildered and said, do what? He said, this Christian life, uh, that's what? She said, after last night, I do it and I'm turning in my Bible, I quit. After some investigation, the pastor found that the crusade team in their zeal had printed up some pamphlets and circulated those pamphlets on the night of the meeting. On the pamphlets, it detailed all the sins of the flesh and also included a self-evaluation including some questions like, how much time do you spend in prayer per week? How much time do you read your Bible? The senior pastor looked at the pamphlet, went back to the lady and said, I'm depressed as well. (laughs) He went on to say that since the moment she had walked into church, she'd been told that she didn't have to do anything. and She didn't have to do anything for salvation. She just needed to believe in the name of Jesus. He said it took them weeks to get that woman back to a wholesome outlook of the Christian life. How many people throughout the history of the church have found themselves in that circumstance? My answer to that is too many. And at the center of God's plan for salvation is the redemption of the soul of man. Forgiveness of sins and the establishing of something new in our lives. That's what we call being born again. But what reason is that? What's the reason behind that? When you answer that question, it really does make you feel better because the center of that, the, the, the reason for all is that he can have a relationship with us. Religious rules, laws cannot achieve relationship no more than, than, than it does in a marriage or a family. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians and he's recounting some of the events from Acts chapter 15 and chapter 2. We're going to read that in just a second. That's the backdrop of what he is this uh, second chapter of Galatians. And he's defending the true gospel. Remember the churches in Galatia were planted by Paul and now he's prepared to fight for them and for the true gospel. And before I read this text, we're going to read from chapter, uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through to t- uh, 10. I want to just pray and I wonder if you just bow your heads and pray and let's ask God for some revelation this morning and some help for us. Father, you believing believe in you that your love for us is so rich that you sent your only son to establish a relationship between us. Help us by reading your word aloud today and by hearing the preaching of your word to be inspired, to gain revelation, to gain comfort and bring specific direction to our life. I'm asking for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 2.1. I'm reading from New King James. And I'll refer to New Living Translation through this message as well. It says, Then after fourteen years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me, and I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles but privately to those who have of reputation, lest by any means I might run and had run in vain. Not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because the false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we do not yield submission, even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you but from those who seemed to be something were it makes no difference to me god shows no personal favoritism to men, no man for those who seemed to be something added nothing to me but on the contrary when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to peter for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor the very thing which I also was eager to do. I want to preach a message entitled God's Defender, Gospel Defender. Looking at the life of Paul because he is the author of this, or he is the writer of this book. The author is God, hallelujah. But he is the writer of the letter to the Galatians. And I firstly want to talk to you about the beauty of God's plan. The beauty of God's plan is available for us to see through the Word of God. And we get to see, fall back the pages and we think about what is written. Nearly 2,000 years have passed since Paul's ministry. But we get to see part of the plan of God because God had a, a beautiful plan in that He chose the right man to go to the Gentiles. The beauty lies in God's choice of a man to reach the Gentiles. The Lord's mastery is seen in the power of Paul's testimony. Over a little bit of what Pastor Josh has said over the last couple of weeks, and some of it you may be aware of from your own reading of the Scriptures, but let's just follow this in order. The Lord's mastery is seen through the power of Paul's testimony. It comes out of a deeply religious background. And he goes to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He's preaching, he's teaching, is filled with grace and faith. And part of the plan of for Paul was not just to preach the gospel, the purity of the gospel. Paul's testimony is the backdrop. It's filtered all the way through the book of Galatians, but it's mentioned many times all the way through his writings in various places. But specifically in the book of Acts, it's mentioned twice that he testified about the grace of God. Paul is so thankful for what God's done for him. Are you thankful this morning for what the Lord's done for you? Have you testified lately to somebody about what God's done for you? Let me remind you, Paul was a passionate legalist before his conversion, to the point he persecuted the church. The beauty of the Lord's plan is in His calling of Paul. Jesus saves Paul out of legalism and futile religious works. Paul knew the reality of his conversion through grace and faith, and not of works. Last week, Pastor Trophy and shows us the trophy that he had. Where did you get that trophy from? Did you earn that somewhere? (laughs) But uh, he showed us that trophy and and Paul was a trophy of grace. Paul had lived as a legalist and he knew the danger of living that way. He knew the lifestyle and the belief that had entrapped him in the new King. Uh, chapter 3 and verses 4 through to 8 says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm also circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these things I counted for loss." a passionate legalist before his salvation. Secondly, Paul was constantly referring to his testimony because his knowledge of the law of Moses. His knowledge gave him a backdrop of being able to understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the book of Acts, chapter 22 and verse 3 in New King James, it says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, But brought up in the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you all are today. Paul was a convert from legalism. He was a convert from the law. He's so devout to the law and he sets his testimony as the backdrop to this letter and he begins to teach again as he's as he's teaching through the and relating the the uh, events around he's saying, "I have a perspective on the law and living as a legalist." that most religious leaders don't know because they've never been converted. Religious people hold on to what they can control and quantify. I was raised a Catholic. I, I served on the, on the altar. I, man, I, I was every 30 days and for a long time. <laughs> I—I I mean, I, I put the can, i pay two cents. In those days, we had two-cent coins, and you put two cents in a little box, and you get a little candle out, and put a candle in there, and you can say your prayer. And that—that that gave you more more uh, uh, credibility with God if you put two cents in there and put the candle out. I mean, I was bound by that. I was bound in that legal, bound in those religious understandings. And Paul uses that as his backdrop. I know what it was like, how often you pray, how often you read, how often you give. These are all quantified things that people use in their religious existence to try and justify their salvation. Paul's life and ministry was absolutely a revolution to the Jewish audience. Because of the power of his testimony. Backdrop. Paul's life and ministry was also a revolution to the Gentiles who were bound in idolatry and man's wisdom. And he comes preaching the liberty and grace of Christ Jesus, a man who died on a cross, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is alive today, helping people in every way, shape or form. They could not understand this. This was was revolutionary to them. Paul's, or the beauty of God's plan in using Paul was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul became an instrument of revelation as he taught the relationship between the Old Testament and the New. You see, we need to know the Old Testament. We need to understand how that was a forerunner to Christ, how it pointed the way. If you just read the the New Testament, yes, you'll be fine and you'll make heaven your home. But richer in your understanding of the New Testament when you understand the Old. This was Paul's ministry. Paul's education and working experience of the law and traditions and customs practiced by the Pharisees, Sadducees and scribes gave him this unique perspective so that even the apostles didn't have that. And he comes to this meeting in Acts chapter 15, this council, tell them what he's been preaching, how he's been preaching it, and he gives them the understanding that they needed. Paul consistently opposed false teaching, insisting that only faith in Jesus Christ was necessary for salvation. This will be a point. It's already been hammered by Pastor Pastor Josh, over the last two weeks, it will continue for the whole 12 weeks as we're in Galatians and further as we continue to preach here in Grace Life. But it is there as the, as the centrepiece of self. faith in Jesus Christ, not the requirement of law. Paul taught that Jesus perfectly and completely fulfilled the requirements of the, of, of the Old Testament. Later in Galatians, and you'll see this, and Paul, I'm, I'm only using this as, just as information, but later in Galatians, you'll read the balance, between, uh, as Paul talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, against such there is no law. That's the backdrop. There is no law that can overcome the grace, the power, the dominion, the liberty in Christ. The gospel Paul preached was balanced repentance, salvation by grace through faith. Because of that salvation, there, were God, there will be godly fruit in your life. Let me just say this one comment before we move on. I when we reduce relationship with God to rules, regulations, and rituals. Okay? Let me say it again. I believe we insult God when we reduce our relationship with Him to rules, regulations, and rituals. Do you like the R's? They're all there. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm having fun. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So the first God's, uh, God's plan. The second point is the boldness of God's man. Not bald, but bold. Okay. From the very start of Paul's letter, he's bold, isn't he? In a defence of the true gospel. He's confident, he's bold. And I believe that part of the understanding of Paul is that you need to realise that his boldness, not understanding or, or, or wisdom, it comes because firstly, he's called. He's called by God. Paul is a man called by God. In the New King James Version, it says, and I went up by Revelation, verse 2. But in the New Living Translation, it says, God revealed it to me that I should go. He, he lived with a sense of calling, that God was there directing his steps every way. Paul believed for him was personally to speak to the leaders of church of the church twice in 17 years. Chapter 1 tells us he went up after three years. Chapter 2 says 14 years after that. Twice in 17 years. He didn't need to be around them. He was was doing the will of God, but he comes by revelation of God. Verse 5 in the New Living Translation says, but he refused to to give in to them for a single moment. He's talking about the Jews who were trying to corrupt the gospel, but he said, we wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Verse 6 as the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching, by the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me for God has no favourites. Paul is bold in his statement here. He, he's, he's saying, listen, I'm not worried about reputation. I'm not worried about what they've done. I don't give a the place. I've seen miracles, done various things. What matters to me is the purity of the gospel. And he boldly defends the purity of the gospel. He knows he can do it because he's called by God. Some of you really need to work that out in your life. What are you called to do in life? And by working that out, you will have boldness to do what the will of God is for your life. God... Called him to preach to the gentiles New Living Translation Acts 9:15 and 16 says but the lord said go for saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of israel and i will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake verse 7 of chapter 2 Instead, they saw that God had given me responsibility of preachiles, just as he had given Peter responsibility of preaching to the Jews. Paul is confident in his call, uh, calling, and he's bold because of that confidence and calling in his life. He's also called to defend the gospel, the unedited, the pure gospel. Verse 9. In fact, James, Peter, and John were known as pillars in the church. And they recognised the gift God had given me. And they encouraged to the Gentiles. Here is the call of God, not just something that somebody feels, but it is confirmed. Confirmed by others in his life. This gave Paul boldness. Paul was also bold because he loved God and loved God's church. When you love God and you love His church, you get bold about things. You get bold enough to invite people to church. It's Real quiet there. I believe we still need to be inviting people to church. Oh, well, they'll just come in if God brings them in. No, God's called you and I to be bold and invite people to church. Hallelujah, glory to God. When am I leaving? Soon. Okay, verse 5, it says, but we refuse to give in to them for a single moment. He refuses to give the people who are trying to corrupt the gospel. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel for who? For you. He loved God's people. Paul's motivation for the defense of the gospel was the benefit of God's people. In uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight 28, says, B- Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Paul was bold because he loved God, God's church. He was willing to stand up no matter what it was going to cost him. I have heard reports out of the U.S. that CNN, other, other news agencies are starting to they're up their attack on Christians. A CNN reporter got up recently and said that Jesus wasn't perfect. That he can't do anything for you anyway through this COVID crisis. You're going to have to work out what you're going to stand for in these last days. And you need to get bold about your Christian faith. Don't go hiding at work. Don't go hiding in your neighbourhood. Don't go hiding anywhere. Be bold for the God who loves you and died for you on the cross of Calvary has called you to be bold for him. There's that evangelist thing coming in. again. It's just there. You can't fight it. Okay. Paul was bold also because he knew who the enemy was. New King James Version of Verse 4, it says, And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in. False brethren. The Greek word is pseudo-delphus. Pseudo meaning fake, not genuine, pretentious, insincere. Delphus meaning brothers. Fake brothers. Paul. many times. In fact, they followed him around. Hassled him. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26, in journeys often, in perils, water, various other things. Look at right down the bottom, it says, in perils among false brethren. It wasn't just that they followed him around, they were a real pain in the rectum ciliation. They were they, they wanted to trying to drag down his ministry, constantly trying to give him a hassle. We had this guy come into church one time up in Darwin. And he had this big, he had a big stomach and he had this big T-shirt and said, Jesus loves me. Okay, no worries. And he comes into church and he goes like this. Um, um, uh, the Bible says, greet each other with a holy kiss. How do you feel about that? And, and I'm thinking, <laughs> 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 we said to him, kiss the guys and leave the women alone. some people that come into church, and you know, I'm serious. I, I hope he got saved, genuinely saved, and he made it to heaven. If he's still alive, if he's not alive, well, I, I hope he's there anyway. I hope he makes it to heaven. But the issue is false brethren. People don't like talking about this in this day and age because we're so pitiful. You know, Paul wouldn't have done really well in our politically, politically correct society. He challenged people and called them false brethren. Pseudo-delphus, fakes. You say you're a brother, but look at you. People that come in and he says they're brought in. One one commentator says, these unsaved infiltrators uh, uh, were brought in to cloud the true gospel and rob it of its simple truth. The Jewish and converts who had held to the Mosaic law still to be observed. In this letter of Galatians, he refers to false brethren Told Gentile believers they must adopt Jewish customs and Jewish laws as a condition of their salvation. These people held to the idea that they must become Jews before they can become Christians. Paul calls these people out and says it's not happening. This is not right. As he's come down to Jerusalem for this uh, Jerusalem council, he's not even going to get circumcised now. And he's amongst the apostles. Surely this is a nice religious ceremony we could have. No, he says, I'm not going to do it. We don't have to do it. Paul was bold because he knew who the enemy was. Ultimately, it's satanic. But there are faces, human faces sometimes on this. And he called them out. I've had Mormons come to church. And we we sit down with them, have a cup of coffee with them, talk to them. But if they started to try and proselytize proselytize those people, my goodness, they find out what the Roth of Gaff is. (laughs) I'm not into that. Why were they coming? And it's like they they did it a number of times. Today's day and age, oh, politically nice love everybody. Yeah, I love them. But the moment you start trying to change people and take them out and make them a Mormons, then that's the time I'm going to make a stand. The right foot of fellowship applied to the right place. <laughs> Gary, you're shocking. <laughs> Fourthly, let me stay on track here. Paul's boldness was not without discernment. Okay. Your excuse just to fly off the handle anytime it does, it upsets you. Listen to Galatians 2 2. He says, While I, while I was there, I met privately with those who, can, who were considered to be leaders of the church. Paul uses discernment and he goes and he handles this doctrinal crisis with the Jerusalem Council by going behind the scenes. He doesn't want to embarrass the apostles. He doesn't want to make it a public debate. He simply begins and begins to testify to them about what God's doing amongst the Gentiles. Paul took the precaution because he wanted to deal with this and not catch them by surprise because he didn't want to jeopardise what God was doing Worldwide. Bigger picture. Discernment shows you the bigger picture. Thirdly and finally, no clock this morning, but someone said there's a calendar up there, so we should be... (laughs) (laughs) So firstly, the beauty of God's plan. Secondly, uh, the boldness of God's man. Thirdly, the blessing of God's hand. Okay. Okay. My wife likes that one too. She told me about that. <laughs> the goal of the gospel, as we said, the centerpiece of the gospel is for mankind to come into a loving relationship with a living God. A loving relationship with his hand of blessing. God's hand of blessing comes on those who make relationship the priority. The hand of God comes on the preaching of the true gospel, not the edited form, right? We are called to share, teach, promote, pray, and support the propagation of the gospel. Every one of us. We have a part, an army. We're part of a team. We're part of a family. We're part of what God wants to do on the face of the earth, and you have a part to play. Secondly, his hand will also come on those who, who defend the purity of the, ble- of the gospel. Scripturally, the hand of God, let me just give you this backdrop. the hand of God, or the hand of the Lord, is synonymous with the blessing of God. right? Acts chapter 11, God was with them and the great number believed and turned to the Lord. The hand of the Lord was on them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Ezra chapter seven and verse 28. So I was encouraged as the hand of my God was upon me. The hand of the Lord was on Paul's life, and Paul gives God glory for it. Look at verse 8. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostles to the Jews, through me as an apostle to the Gentiles, he gives God, he acknowledges God's hand on the preaching of the gospel. Can I tell you the X factor in any time I enter into a pulpit and I begin to preach is not how good my notes are, how much study I've done, how much prayer I've bathed this sermon in, how much time I've I've fasted or I've sought God. It is the X factor, the Holy Spirit coming upon it, the hand of God's lives. The same is true for you in your homes in your neighborhoods, in your workplace, as you stand up and boldly be that person that God's called you to be in your school, God's hand of blessing will come upon you. God, Paul acknowledges it was the hand of God that did it. God's gospel, God's man, God's people, God's power. I ain't got enough power to blow the fuzz off a peach. I can spit four rows, but that don't help. (laughs) Isaiah 41, 20. That they may see and know, take note, that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord and the Holy One of Israel has created it. It's God's church. It's God's people. And we must defend it wherever we can the purity of the gospel, but God's hand will come on us and God's hand will be on our church as we speak the pure gospel and defend the purity of the gospel. I'm always looking for new people in church. Come and say, yeah, I've given my life to Christ. Why can't we see that again and again and again every service? If we believe that the gospel worked, it worked in us. It saved us out of our dirty religious lives or our unsaved lifestyle. It'll work for anyone. That's why we defend it, that it's not about works. It's about God working in and through us. Blessing of God as he established those churches and he made disciples who would carry on the work as he continued preaching elsewhere. Who are you making disciples of? The, verse 9 says, And they recognized the gift of God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. In the King, King James, New King James Version, it says, And knowing the grace given to me, James, Cephas, and John, who seem to be pillars gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. That right hand of fellowship, the hand of God, the right hand of fellowship, what does it talk about? It talks about acceptance, validation, blessing, recognition of the calling of God. I want to close. Maybe some musicians can come and just play in the background. Years ago, um. Sooner or later, I'm going to ask Pastor Josh if I can actually give my extended version of my testimony because it really does bring glory to God in the way that I spoke about my dad last week and I gave you a little bit of a hint that we didn't talk for 13 years. And there's a miracle that is involved in that and a power of God. When I first became a Christian, you know, I'd been... Uh, involved in fairly serious sporting activity. I'm I'm limping at the moment because I injured myself at work, but um, I had five operations on my knee before. By 1985, I was broken down as a sportsman. And I placed all this emphasis on my sporting achievements. I I, I thought I was pretty good. In my mind, I'm still pretty good, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Up here, I can still do it. <laughs> right. Um 1977 I won sportsman of the year in my town all this sort of stuff and I had these trophies. So after I became a Christian Pastor Josh's trophy illustration from last week reminded uh, me and Joe of this time. We had I had all these trophies and I used to have them all up on on the wall on my and so, shortly, about two or three months after we became Christians, we moved into this one little bedroom flat and we were there. And um, I'm just so excited. I'm a, I'm a new convert, you know. I'm just wanting anybody to come around and talk to me about the things of God. So, we invited this guy to come around. Well, I, I think I invited him anyway. He just turned up. Old Tom Turner. And Tom Turner was, he, he'd, he'd been a dope smoking, beer swiggling save, too. So, I. Later on, I really didn't understand why he did this. But anyway, he comes into my house, and he sees all my trophies. And he walks up, and he says, they're nothing but idols. I said, yeah, I've won those. And I could feel my pride getting all damaged. They're nothing but idols. Okay. I let him sit down. He points at my TV. He says, that's a sewer pipe of the world. And <laughs> it's true, but I'm a new convert. I used to watch Jesus on a, on a Wednesday night. <laughs> they had a Jesus show on, and I thought that was okay, you know. So anyway, I, I said, I'm going to put some music on. So I put music on. It's at the devil. Trophies, TVs, music. Yeah, it wasn't good for me. And I said to, I said to Joe, because I, I eventually threw out all my trophies because it was a representation of who I used to be. And my pride was all bundled up in it. And it wasn't healthy for me. But, and nobody likes being told what to do and what not to do. But isn't that legalism? And all the super spirituals in church love to point out the little itty-bitty bits in our life that, is, that we're not doing right or wrong. And they get the checklist out. Yeah, that's a sewer pipe of the world. and that, uh, that, that, They're idols and, and the music's of the devil. Well, ACDC, I'm on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I'm not going to sing it ever again, right? But you know what sustained me? When he left, and we were angry, my wife and I were a bit angry at this guy coming in and legalistically pulling apart my life. Is what sustained me was the hand of God and the blessing of God on my life, the call of God on my life. And now, for the rest of my life, sure, I'm not gonna, I, I don't ever wanna walk into someone's life and start in their life or in their affairs and start pulling apart their life and tell them what's the devil and what's not. And God's not happy with this and God's not happy with that. i got no right to do that. That's legalism, man. Be careful what you do. Oh, yeah, I might hear from God or the Word of God says. Well, you can come with a different spirit, heart to love somebody and help them through things. What's sustained me over the years is I can remember everything about the Catholic Church. Seriously, I can remember all the liturgy. If I walked into one again, I know all the beginning to end. But what really saved me was the love of God and the grace of God who changed a sinner like me in my heart. Thank God for that. Brethren, what I want to tell you today is that God has a plan. He knew you before He formed you in the womb. And He loves you and He cares for you. Don't be bound up in religious liturgy and rituals and regulations and everything, but live in the liberty of Christ and faith and serving God. Live clean for Him, but you don't need nobody else to tell you how to do it. God's word's big enough. And God is big enough through relationship with Him that you can know the power of God. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.